0: Imagine the feeling you'd have if a loved one was brutally murdered. Imagine the anger and the sadness. I know for a fact that if someone I loved was taken from me, I would be blinded with rage. I'm a human being. I'd want vengeance. Would you trust our criminal justice system to serve you and your family justice? Would that even be enough? If something like this happened to me, I would feel desperate for retribution. I'd want to take matters into my own hands and make the person responsible feel my pain. But that wouldn't solve anything. If anything, it could start me on a darker path myself. Our justice system is designed to negate the vicious nature of humanity and curb Wild West style vigilantism. So the person responsible is in custody to be handled by a fair trial with due process and an attorney. What does justice look like to you? Should they suffer the same fate as the person they took from you? Would putting them to death make your life without your loved one easier to live? Putting myself in these shoes, I don't know the answer. I honestly don't. I will say, statistics about the death penalty make me worry. According to the Death Penalty Information Center, since 1973, 185 former death row prisoners have been exonerated of all charges related to the wrongful convictions that had put them on death row. Courts make mistakes, right? Well, what if we were certain, with tons of evidence, that someone had committed the crime? Would the death penalty be okay then? Should the government, state or federal, have the power to execute someone as a punishment for an awful crime? Do the details and context and the brutality of the crime make a difference? This topic is a tough one, but I hope you stay tuned while Grant and I dive deep into the conversations surrounding the death penalty. Enjoy! In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. An eye for an eye. Does that make the whole world go blind? Should the punishment for murder be death itself? I find myself having a tough time grappling with these questions. The more I research the implementation of the death penalty and how many innocent people have been freed just before execution. And how many might have been innocent and put to death prior to the advent of forensic advances. DNA evidence has turned the criminal justice system upside down for good reason. Mistaken identities, false claims. In 1992, Barry Sheck and Peter Newfeld realized that if DNA technology could prove people guilty of crimes, it could also prove that people had been wrongfully convicted. Thus, the Innocence Project was born. Their statistics state that 63% of exonerations they've achieved involved eyewitness misidentification and 52% involved misapplied forensic science. Human errors costing innocent human lives. While the Innocence Project has done wonders in saving people from death row, many have still served a lifetime in prison for a crime they have never committed. With this much room for error, should the death penalty even be an option? I find myself qualifying the death penalty in in certain specific scenarios, the scum of the scum with irrefutable evidence. Maybe they deserve the ultimate punishment. I'm not really sure. As Hannah Cox so eloquently stated in an article she wrote for the Foundation for Economic Education, otherwise known as FEE, Quote, we believe in a limited government because we know the government is prone to error, inequality, mismanagement, and corruption. We know that the government will always work to protect its own interests, not those of the individual. And we know that humans who run the government are fallible. Mistakes are made even when the intentions are pure. End quote. In mid-January 2021, just before his exit of the White House, President Trump became the most prolific execution president in over 130 years, carrying out the 13th federal execution during his tenure. Is this a badge of honor for a president, or does it raise an eyebrow? Would it matter to you that many of those executed had found peace through religion and or educational programs, obtained degrees, and were by all accounts reformed and felt sincere remorse? Or again, does it matter to the context and nature of the crime itself? The more important question is whether or not the death penalty even works as a deterrent. A study of 30 years from FBI crime data found that the South had consistently the highest murder rate. At the same time, the South accounts for more than 80% of executions. what about the financial aspect? According to the Kansas Judicial Council in 2014, defense costs for death penalty trials in Kansas averaged about $400,000 per case compared to $100,000 per case when the death penalty was not sought after. Additionally, enforcing the death penalty costs Florida $51 million a year above what it would cost to punish all first-degree murders with life in prison without parole. Based on the 44 executions Florida had carried out since 1976, that amounts to a cost of $24 million per execution. In Texas, a death penalty case costs an average of $2.3 million, about three times the cost of imprisoning someone in a single cell at the highest security level for 40 years. These numbers make you think. If the death penalty isn't the most cost-effective way to deter crime, are we just doing it out of vengeance, and is that healthy for our society? getting rid of capital punishment isn't a novel idea either. Currently, 24 states still allow the death penalty as punishment for specific criteria, while 23 states have outright abolished its use. The three remaining states currently have a governor-imposed moratorium, but will most likely pass legislation abolishing it as well. I'm still not sure where I stand on the most extreme cases, and I'm not convinced the death penalty should be removed as an option entirely. But perhaps the conversation needs to be had with all the facts and figures more widely known. I'm curious to know what Grant's thoughts are. But first a word from our most important sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our favorite spirit, Whiskey. We enjoy conversations more when there's a drink in our hand. Picture us at a fancy cigar lounge or in the brandy room of the Titanic discussing a wide range of issues, solving all the world's problems as the masters of the universe that we are. During this conversation, I'm enjoying a glass of rye. Angel's Envy Finished Rye. This unique expression is finished for about 18 months in rum casks. The mingling of raw, spicy, and earthy rye with the mellow sweetness of rum finishing creates an incomparably smooth and drinkable whiskey, even at 100 proof. Now, let's get back to the show. Cheers.
1: Well, the first thing is there's crimes that the proper penalty is obviously death. But that's not the issue for me. The issue is, do you give the state that much power? And I would say practically no. I think this is a very callous way of looking. I think in the United States, it costs $20 million to put someone to death. It's like, why? Well, because the state shouldn't just be able to do that Mm. easily. And they make mistakes, like a lot of mistakes. You got to get your... your theory about this right. Are there crimes that warrant death? Yes. Like violent rape might be one of those, you know, and and there's certainly crimes that go beyond that. I mean, if you have a daughter, mother, someone you love who's raped violently, and you're not homicidally enraged by that, there's something wrong with you. It's up to the state to take that burden off of you with a sufficient penalty, and maybe that penalty should be death. But then there's the state, It's like who's the monster here the criminal or the state well the criminal for sure but also the state and so maybe you just never want the state to have that much power
0: all right grant well that was our beloved jordan peterson giving his take on the dave rubin report and i thought it was an interesting eloquent take That kind of surmise what I discussed in the intro and kind of where I think the normal human condition is to kind of fight with itself on how to use this ultimate penalty to punish someone for a crime.
2: I've always been so like gutturally like opposed to the death penalty, but I never really examined why that was. Again, because I've never been in that situation where I'm like, that person needs to die. And I know there's people that exist out there that have done such heinous things that there's no real excuse for them to still be alive. And it's so difficult to, to say that and be like, oh, that just came out of my mouth. Yeah. There's probably people out there that need to be dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, and that's one of the, the things that he brought up is that what if the crime is just so specifically heinous? I mean, I think like I'm trying to think of of someone, an actual, a, a real person, a real, a real criminal. The the best example for us in our time. And where we're both from Milwaukee is the cream city cannibal, Jeffrey Dahmer right? So he, he did some pretty awful things, right? He, he, he killed people. He lobotomized people, young men. He, he coaxed them to back to his hotel or to his apartment and, you know, cut them up and put them in his freezer and and ate them and, and formed this weird emotional bond with them as a severe mental illness, which he fully admitted. And he actually offered him up up to offered himself up to science at, at, at the court hearing and said, "Listen, Your Honor, I know I, I have a massive problem. I know what I'm doing is not right, but I have this impulse to do it. You know, if it was your loved one who was who was killed and and filleted and lobotomized and eaten and and raped by this serial killer who has killed numerous people and done this to numerous people, is that someone who can be re- rehabilitated and, and put back into society or rehabilitated and live a life alongside other inmates in a prison population that they're in is its own kind of microcosm of society. I I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I I don't know if an eye for an eye is the right way to go about it.
2: It's so hard to wrap your brain around like how I, I would be related to one of those people where these like very specifically outside of normal, like civilized society things like cannibalism and injecting people with acid and, and it just in literally insane stuff like that. Like I cannot mentally put myself in that place. And I, I hope to God, I never am in that situation where I have to be in that because it's like, I don't know how anybody could process oh yeah my loved one was this this and this by this person someone that far outside of civilized society like i'm kind of on the the train of like i don't know if rehabilitation is even a thing that exists it's like and that's this argument for the death penalty it's like at what point you just take them out back and you put a bullet in their head because we need to take those people outside of our civilized society is that what prisons are for just yeah put them in a cage let them sit there until they're gone by natural causes, I guess. In Jeffrey Dahmer's case, he was shanked by a fellow prisoner and died in prison. So, because we do not have the death penalty in Wisconsin.
0: I don't know if you remember, Michael, Michael Dukakis was running for president before our time in the 80s, and he was asked a question about his wife, Kitty Dukakis. It was a very pointed question about the death penalty. If someone had broken into your house, raped and killed your wife, would you support the death penalty for that person? And instead of answering it like a human being would, would be like, yeah, fuck that guy. Or I would kill him myself type thing. That's what that's what the voters, the voters were wanting that reaction. They wanted to see that he was a human being who had emotion and cared. He didn't answer eloquently. He just basically said, no, I don't because uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, whoa, what about your wife? But And that's the thing is that you, you have the examples being the scum of the scum, the worst of the worst with, irrefutable evidence it, it like for me if it's on camera clear as day that is the person period irrefutable evidence dna confirms it and that person did all these horrible things okay you know then then yeah maybe they shouldn't live anymore but uh, that's that's a very high standard but the other question i have then is 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 it really the death penalty really the best way to punish someone is it is it more torturous to just put them in a jail cell and let them rot
2: and it always comes the the first thing that like the first argument against it is what about those people who are actually innocent because that's like it's almost like this this like lack of confidence in our justice system where we just know there's innocent people getting thrown in prison and there has been innocent people proven to have been put to death by the state and like that should be argument enough against it, you would think, but like it 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 goes back to that yeah that. Moral thing, like maybe there are crimes out there that the, re- the the appropriate response is we need to get this person out of our society and off of our dollar, basically. But that excuse falls apart as well because Jordan Peterson also brought that up. It's like okay, it costs us millions of dollars just to execute a person in America. Okay, then you can't make a cost <laughs> analysis of that either. But it's also it's also it also costs us crazy taxpayer dollars to keep people in prison. So. I don't know, it's like a no-win situation. Yeah. <laughs> there
0: there that might be a different conversation too is that, you know, if if we do have the death penalty, is the way that we're implementing it the most cost-effective or the correct way? They they've they've gone above and beyond in almost every state except for probably Texas to make the death penalty humane as humane as possible. 99% of the time lethal injection is used. Uh but that can be botched. There have been horror stories of people who have been brutally brutally killed in horrible torturous ways now okay i'm not that might be justified for depending on what the crime they did that's that's the thing that we're trying to figure out and flesh out here but if we're going to make it more humane and the lethal injection isn't a sure thing because it's prone to human error it's prone to to horrible setups that your veins have to be in good condition all these things uh you know you know what doesn't get botched that often a gunshot to the head at a and that's pretty cost effective too. I'm not advocating for that, but I've heard people make the argument for firing, firing squad type or even hanging type, going, going back to the old ways to just make it cheaper and make it more, hey, this might be more of a detriment or a, a deterrent for people who don't want to you know face the music where that's kind of scary. A lethal injection, you're being put to sleep like a cat at a vet. This is, this is more so like, oh, this is medieval. I think, I think that, that goes back to is that healthy is that is that good for the how toxic is vengeance and is that actually going to bring you peace i would that's probably gonna be very relative to the person i mean what if that person can decide or has a say in the sentencing and what if that that person says you know what my wife was killed your honor i want to if the death penalty is available i want to be the one to execute that and the, the the jury and the judge honors that request okay but if you don't want that, if you don't think that's good, if you don't think that an eye for an eye is the right answer, you say, nah, I would rather them suffer and, and rot in a in a high security prison.
2: I, I maybe. I don't know. Because like you you see so many instances again where these people have been proven innocent. And at the time I'm sure there was a family out there who were like, I want this person dead, I want this person dead, and they were leaving leading that charge and that person was innocent the whole time.
0: We get, there's I think there's two debates that that are going on in, in, in the world when it comes to the death penalty. One is that if if there's such a significant st- statistical error for people who are innocent being killed, we probably shouldn't do it because that's that's bad. Because especially with the DNA evidence having become so readily available. The other the other debate is whether or not it's moral. What if the statistics bared out that We were perfect at finding the correct people who were convicted. There were no errors. No innocent people were wrongly convicted. It was 100% perfect. The question then it becomes, is it moral to do? Is it right? Religion aside, is it man's or human being's right to decide the life of another human being, even though that other human being decided the life of another? I mean, and then we also have to ask too, well, what's the threshold? If we're going to use a death penalty, is it, you know, is murder enough? Does it have to be two murders? Does it have to be three? Does it have to be a serial killer? What about a serial rapist? I would argue that a, a, a serial child molester is probably worse for society than someone who killed one person in an, in a one-off homicide. No, and that,
2: that I, I see what you mean by the, the moral side of it. I, I've seen enough movies i've read enough stories i've i've heard enough music that talk about that that it is it is absolutely in our nature to want to exact justice generally an eye for an eye and the the, and the story usually it it usually leaves the person who was wronged unfulfilled by the end of that they get what they were looking for and they find out "Mm, this is i feel just as empty now or they learn, this is not for me to decide this person's fate. This is up to some higher power, let's call it God. I, I guess in terms of the the moral side of it, I, I come back to that in my own feeling that I don't know if an eye for an eye is justified. I don't know if the the punishment, no matter how much I might want it, no matter how much I think it's right, no matter how much I know this person is guilty and know this person is a, is a monster... I don't I don't feel like I or anyone should be in that position where we're we're sanctioning
0: murder. Every month Grant and I will tackle an important topic while enjoying a glass of whiskey. If you don't agree with our opinions on these issues, that's great. We want to hear from you and hear your side of the story. Our goal is to understand different perspectives and engage in conversations that matter without regressing to the same division that exists in our hyperpartisan politics. We can and must do better in finding common ground. Discussions breed solutions. The Cogan Conversation is a podcast that welcomes respectful discourse, paired with a glass of whiskey, of course. If you'd like to offer your take on an upcoming episode or join us for a glass of whiskey, please reach out to us on social media or head over to our website and send us a message. Wouldn't it be nice to know what topics are coming up and when an episode is releasing from the Cogan Conversation? Subscribing to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and of course, following us on social media helps immensely. You can also head over to our website and sign up for our email list, so you never miss out on any episodes or information. Cheers! Johnny D. McMillan was convicted by a jury of brutally murdering a teenage girl in my community and it is my job to defend the
1: integrity of that conviction. Even if that conviction is based on false testimony. You're the only one I know who thinks that. Then I must be the only one who read that record, because it's pretty obvious.
0: That man caused a lot of pain. A lot of pain for folks around here. And if you go digging in those wounds, you're going to be making a lot of people very unhappy.
1: Well, it isn't my job to make people happy. It's to achieve justice for my client.
0: You have to you have to factor in too that, that, that when it gets to that point of where it's newsworthy and not just local, it's it's national. It's it's probably world news, and there's probably going to be documentaries based on it. It's going to be continuous, and that family is never going to get any rest or any justice because this person they're 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 infamous, right? Their their name is everywhere. And it's going to be another mental health uh, discussion. Oh, well, he was, he was you know, touched by his drunk uncle when he was a kid, and he had a bunch of red flags that people didn't pay attention to, and maybe we could have caught it. You know, this is going to be just ongoing discussions. Rather than just the victims now, the, the families of the victim being the people who want vengeance, now you have an entire national outcry for, you know, basically saying, fuck that guy. He should be dead. So is it is it worth it for our justice system to allow high profile cases like that of extraordinarily heinous crimes to be snuffed out rather than rather than him sitting in prison at 75 years old, 30 years after the crime was committed, knowing from from weird fan letters and people who are cultish and whatever, sending him letters. And making him feel like he's either famous or affirmed or whatever from a Netflix documentary that came out while he's still alive in prison.
2: I'm, I almost want to like address that there's a different root problem in what you just said there. Like I'm already uncomfortable with like someone is a mass shooter. And the first thing that's going to get televised is who was the shooter? Why did they do it? What was their name? B- before mass media, there was, it was, there was maybe a book written on an incident there was not this like national deification of these, these monsters. And that's just the different time we live in now where you brought up very valid reasons that like, okay, there's a national outcry for blood basically. But I don't agree with that either. Like I'm not out there when someone does a horrible thing. Like I'm going to bring up the, the tough subject of a very recent example. Someone like Derek Chauvin, there's people out there who I openly saw saying let's kill this man. Like, I was not on that train. I don't think I can ever get myself on that train. I, I, I can understand where people will be at because there's just so much anger and outrage. And yeah, that's one of, I guess, maybe the best things we've done in our country is we, we've we taken that, it's the Salem Witch Trials, right? It's like, you can get a hive of people who are like, we need this one thing done. We need this one person dead because they are blah, they are a witch, basically. We've taken that and we put it in the hands of the judicial system, not perfect. In fact, extremely flawed, <laughs> but better than a mob. Uh, and I'm worried that we're going
0: back to that. But we have we have laws and due process for a reason. And for even the worst of the worst cases, if we can't hold on to our principles, then the entire house of cards falls. We have to be able to trust our system as flawed as and, and as human as it is how can we conduct a just society if we're just all killing each other? I mean, I I said in the intro and I'll extrapolate more. If something happened to a loved one of mine, my first guttural reaction would be, I'm going to hunt this bastard down myself with my own bare hands and take care of business because I don't trust the police or the government. I'm going to do it my way. Now, obviously, if push came to shove, I wouldn't do that. But that's that's the emotional response I have to it. That's the emotional response you had a lot of soldiers who were deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan in 2003. That, okay, when the nation is, is, is united for the first time in a long time. 9-11 happened. It's awful. Unfortunately, hindsight is and the and the, the war on terror has been a very misguided, you know, thing built on a lot of lies. Regardless, those young soldiers went over there to protect our freedom because we were attacked. That's not their fault. That's not the average American's fault for believing and and having that emotional response to it. I think my point is we can't allow ourselves to bend the rules just because we're blinded by fury or by emotion, by sadness. Vengeance is so consuming. It's so toxic. It makes you do stupid things. I would hope that people are able to handle each other with a bit of grace, especially like uh, Larry Nasser, who was convicted of the... Numerous sexual assault claims uh, from the U.S. Uh, gymnastics team, decades of abuse. The, one of the fathers of the girls who was assaulted was in the courtroom and lunged at Larry Nasser uh, And the deputy and, and the, the, the bailiff had to put him down, basically, and, and cuff him. And he cooled down, he came back in, and he apologized. Now, the judge could have put him in prison. They could have charged him. They could have, you know, it's a, a, with contempt, all this shit. The judge, being a human being, recognized that, hey, you know, you got emotional. You got to not do that. We have to be able to, you know, keep ourselves cool, calm, and collected. But it is, it takes a lot of willpower. I mean, imagine being in a situation where you are facing the murderer of your family, your loved one, your child, your 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 mother, and you're within striking distance of them. How do you compose yourself and how do you trust the system enough to find that person guilty and, and even if they do find them guilty, regardless of the death penalty, will that bring you justice? I, I mean, in my mind, no, I'm always going to have a missing piece in my, in my heart and my life. But is, is the best way to move forward handling it with more violence? You know, if you if you believe in religion and, and, and if you believe in God, if you have if you have faith, you, maybe you might believe that you know that person's gonna have what they have coming to them by a greater power in the universe than you could ever imagine. If you don't believe in that stuff, then you know maybe it's not in your hands, and and maybe that's for the best. But it, it, I also don't think it should be in the government's hands because like our courts are set up to be citizen run, right?
2: Yeah. No, and that's I was gonna bring up even I was gonna take your example to. The next like logical step, say you're in a state where there's the death penalty, you have that person who's hurt or killed your loved one, and your initial instinct is to go hunt them down for vengeance. And you do, you're successful. And then you, get, you turn yourself in or you end up getting arrested for murdering that person. Are you then at the mercy of the state for killing someone who might have otherwise gotten the death penalty anyway? Are they going to judge you differently? Are they going to put you in prison or put you to death? And is that The just thing to do then for seeking that out and completing it
0: well let me ask you this is the government designed to be the moral compass is it the government's job to inject moral goodness into society or is it our job at the ground level through community and education and you know loving thy neighbor as it were is that where morality comes from good and evil good and bad that's relative right is it should we allow the government whether it be local State or federal to have the power to decide what is good or bad, because doesn't that change? Doesn't culture change, and legislation doesn't. So, if culture changes and we decide that something's bad, here's a good example: Governor and Andrew Cuomo' (laughs) actions—it's well, actions that were deemed appropriate in the workplace from a man to, say, a secretary or someone or, or an intern or someone who's below them. Not that they were right. But society allowed it to happen because that's just how life is, right? Well, well, now it's classified as sexual harassment. And sexual harassment is bad. And we all agree, even with hindsight, that, yep, even in 1972, sexual harassment existed and it was bad. We just didn't use those words and didn't charge anyone for it. Because culture changes, and society changes, and things are accepted, and things are not accepted, you know, et cetera, is it the government's job to decide and set in stone? These are the metrics. You know, I would hope, I would think that murder would never change. Murder's murder. But there's also different degrees of murder, right? And when I say murder, I mean like straight up, you killed someone you meant to. I and mean, that's a question too though, premeditated murder versus a murder of passion, right? If you come home and you find someone cheating on you and you kill them, that's not like you were planning to do it and therefore you're not a, you're not a bad person. You're a you're someone who made a very, very, very horrible judgmental error because you were upset. Does that make you the same evil as someone who like planned the death of someone? No. But both of those still could be punished by the death penalty.
2: Yeah. I I I like what you bring up about where, where does the burden of, of injecting morals into our society lie with the government or with culture? And I think it's, I think if some horrible atrocity happens or someone comes out and does like where we're at, I, I would even say where we're at now with how many mass shootings there are in our country, as opposed to other places, it should spark some sort of deep cultural reflection about ourselves and where we are at. I think that's an appropriate thing. And it brings up a line, one of my favorite movies uh in the last 10 years uh spotlight and there was a line in there where it goes if it takes a village to raise a child then it takes a village to abuse one like it's not just this one person who does this bad thing it's it's it 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 takes a culture that would breed that thing to be possible and people that turn the blind eye to it. I unfortunately think that we're at that place when it comes to things like these mass shootings. Like it's just becomes so we've become mm-hmm. so desensitized to it, and and it's become so commonplace that yes, I know that the numbers don't reflect that we have gone down in in violent crime across the board, but this is a different kind of evil that crops up far too often. And I'm, I'm not on the train of like we need to ban all guns, like because that's not that's just this like top down big government solution that's not going to help anything it should spark a, like a really hard, deep reflection and discussion about where we're at as a culture and why this keeps happening and how we can stop it. ¶¶
0: This podcast is a work of passion and it's completely self-funded. We want to continue providing this platform dedicated to free thought and conversation, but we kindly ask that you show your support. Patreon isn't just a platform where you can give a small monthly donation. It also gives you exclusive access to extended unedited episodes, bonus content, as well as creative input into whatever we cover. Being a supporter on Patreon makes you a member of the Kogan Conversation family and helps us continue this passion project. For just a few bucks a month, you can help us grow. The more we grow, the more perks can come to being a supporter on Patreon. Head over to our website and learn how you can sign up. This concludes part one of our discussion on the death penalty. What are your thoughts? What do you want us to discuss in part two? If you want to come on the show and share your opinion, please reach out to us. Stay tuned for part two of this topic, available on all podcast platforms, Facebook and YouTube, on August 23rd. In the meantime, if you're enjoying our new format and monthly topical discussions, we would greatly appreciate sharing this podcast with friends and family and help to spread our message of the importance of nuance and understanding. Please give us a like and a share on social media. During these divisive political and social times, we want to find ways to actually have conversations without assuming the worst in each other. What better way to do so than with a glass of whiskey? If you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, follow, and share us all across social media and podcast platforms. I'm Alan. And I'm Grant. Thank you for listening to The Kogan Conversation.
2: This podcast is about engaging with different perspectives, values, and ideas. We want to learn how to progress conversations on important topics without assuming the worst in each other.
0: Each month, we will tackle a new topic while enjoying a glass of our favorite spirit and shed light on the beauty of good conversation. Until next time. Cheers.